Welcome to Artificially Intelligent Marketing, a weekly podcast where we stay on top of the latest trends, tips, and tools in the world of marketing AI, helping you get the best results from your marketing efforts. Now let's join our hosts, Paul Avery and Martin Broadhurst. Welcome to Artificially Intelligent Marketing, a podcast for marketers who need to know about AI. Um, I'm joined with my co-host here today, Martin Broadhurst. Hi, Martin. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, recovering from the, the misery that was watching my football club, Derby County, get trashed by Barnsley 4-1 at the weekend. So uh, the week has progressively got better, I must admit. There we go. We're going to have a podcast where we're going to talk a little bit about AI marketing and quite a lot about um, just how difficult and painful it is for Martin to be a Derby County fan. Um, myself, I was in San Diego uh, this week, sunny San Diego, not as sunny as usual, pretty darn cold, to be honest, um, at a drug discovery cons- conference, which is actually rather awesome. I just stepped off a plane a couple of hours ago and walked into my house 15 minutes ago to do this podcast with Martin. So if I make even less sense than I normally do, Martin. That is going to be my excuse, at least for this week. And then when we do next week's podcast, I'll obviously have to come up with a new one. Um, right, Martin, why don't we give people just a feel for who we are, seeing as this is the first episode, and then tell them what they can expect if they subscribed to this uh, hopefully useful but somewhat full of nonsense podcast? Yeah, well, so uh, I introduced myself first, Derby County fan, as you already know. But yeah, my name's Martin Broadhurst. I run a, a small consultancy advising companies on sales and marketing technology, so CRM, marketing automation, and in recent years, uh, been doing a lot more on the artificial intelligence front as well. Regularly speaking at conferences about marketing AI, and recently published a paper in the Applied Marketing Analytics Journal about how businesses of any size can deploy AI in their marketing. So that's a kind of flavor, actually, what you can expect. Uh, that, that The theme of that paper is uh, how can businesses deploy AI in their business from a marketing and sales perspective? That's very much what we're going to be talking about, looking at the latest technologies. You'll be hearing all the familiar names like ChatGPT, OpenAI, and the big players, but also looking at the, the startups, some of the emerging technologies as well. Good stuff. Yeah, I'm really excited to get into some of that with you today, Martin. I know we've got some great stories this week to look at and and a really interesting tool for Tool of the Week. Um, Hi, everyone. My name is Paul Avery. I am CEO of a life science marketing agency called Biostrata. Um, But the only real things you need to know about me in the context is this, is I am a nerd. I am a science nerd. I am a computer nerd. I am an AI nerd. um, And I just love diving into all this stuff. I do it for fun. Martin and I are constantly, constantly chatting over WhatsApp and on the phone. And we thought, you know what? all this stuff we're reading about, all this stuff we're learning. I wonder if we can actually just help save some other people time and keep them up to date on what's happening in the world of marketing AI by doing all the heavy lifting for them of sifting through the stories to figuring out uh, what is the most important thing for us all to be knowing and hearing about this week, but also playing with those different tools to get a feel for what they can do, what their strengths are, what the best applications are so that you as a listener can stay on top of what tools and and um, tips and tricks are out there for you to get the best out of using AI for marketing, doing that work so that you don't have to. 
Cool, cool. That's good. Let's chuck in, uh, ourselves straight into story number one then, Mike. Why don't you tell us about this? It's a fairly big deal um, with the release of um, ChatGPT and Whisper APIs. Yeah, so uh, it's anyone listening to this podcast will likely know that ChatGPT was launched uh, in November, caused uh, a bit of a stir, and it wasn't in and of itself uh, new tech in the purest sense. It was built upon GPT-3 that had been around for a couple of years, and lots of developers had been integrating into their tool stack. But because of the way that the, the interface was just like, you know, it's like using iMessage or, or WhatsApp, it just boomed and was a massive success. And they launched ChatGPT Pro or Plus, I can never remember which one it is, a couple of weeks ago. But now developers can actually start using it in their apps, which is massive. Uh, yeah, really big deal. They've announced that uh, ChatGPT API is available, as is Whisper, uh, which is a completely different model. Um, and it's a, a transcription tool really so uh, it will take audio and, and turn that into text and there's uh, different things that you can do with that um, but that's been quite a challenging uh, AI to to deploy lots of developers have said it was quite uh, tricky and now they've said it's fine we'll deal with it we'll uh, make it available via API so uh, so basically crack on so yeah very exciting stuff so this is pretty interesting because you know there's already been an explosion of gpt driven tools for writing you know got writer jasper um and, and a huge host of all of those types of tools we already have otter and a bunch of other transcription tools transcription being baked into many different um even web conferencing software like microsoft teams but i think what's was really interesting here is that reduction in cost so any of these apps that use OpenAI's infrastructure through the API, they have to pay. It's fairly nominal cost per token as it's as it's defined, which in essence is kind of like per word or um, per word generated or per word transcribed. But they've reduced the cost by 10 times. So that'll be interesting to see a further explosion of even more tools um with the costs of actually leveraging open ai's platform dropping i wonder if we'll if that will put a pressure on some of the business models of some of the early writing and transcription tools because presumably these new tools that we see emerge from here can do it even cheaper than than was being done before yeah i think switching over the api uh, to the the chat gpt one is Fairly straightforward. Most of the writing tools that I've been using made that switch immediately themselves. Right. Uh, certainly within hours, I was using the the, the Chat GPT uh, API via one of the platforms that I use, <clears throat> Hat Tip to uh, to Riku R I K U. Great little tool uh, if you're interested in playing around with AI models. Uh, they got it deployed very quickly. But yeah, that 10x reduction in cost is massive, an order of magnitude uh, cost reduction. And that is not to be sniffed at and quite exciting for, you know, if that's the direction that we're heading. What I do find interesting is how the alternative models are going to compete. So OpenAI is the big player in this space. Uh, the equivalent large language models to GPT-3, the 
predecessor to ChatGPT. Uh, there's lots of those available. So AI21 has a model called Jurassic. Uh, Cohere has a large model as well. And there's numerous others. Their cost per token usage uh, was very similar. They were all in and around the same uh, ballpark. And OpenAI have really thrown a hand grenade into the to the mix there. Yeah, absolutely. So fingers crossed, we'll see even more tools emerge at very attractive price points and potentially even more and more specialized and niche applications now that people can get hold of that API at a very low price and, and start creating apps for very, very specific use cases. Yeah, all being all being well, and and I think the um, the availability of Whisper as well is not to be to be overlooked. That is really going to transform app development. And I think when people start chaining together some of these tools, um, you know, Whisper working alongside ChatGPT, um, that's going to be that's going to be a really interesting development as well. Marketers watch this space. Absolutely, you can imagine uh, if you've got a content production workflow where you might need to interview a, a subject matter expert you might ask chat gpt to give you some inspiration for good interview questions on a, on a particular topic record the interview and have something like whisper auto transcribe it and then have chat gpt auto summarize or create a blog post off the off the basis of that transcription so yes very heavily influence content production process by chaining those tools as you as you said martin let's from there let's move a bit into talking about cohere one of these other large language models because you spotted this week that they have released a beta of their new summarize tool and you've been having a play so tell us a bit more about this tool and what your experiences have been with it this week yeah so uh cohere an alternative provider of large language models and AI language technology. In fact, recently announced that they were going for a, a valuation of around $6 billion. So uh, fundraising for that, you know, feel free to chip in, Paul, if you've got a few uh, coffers down the back of the sofa. <laughs> yeah. I um, could buy 0.0000000000001% of that. Well, you know, I'm sure they'll be willing to listen. But they've just announced uh, that one of their models uh, they've trained especially as a summarization engine. And this is quite interesting because ChatGPT, if you go into ChatGPT and just copy and paste an article from the web and stick it in, don't say anything, just literally throw in the article and press enter. It will give you a kind of summary of, of that article. Just it will say, well, this is what that's about. The thing is, it's limited on character count. So it's still limited on the number of tokens, as we've just been talking about. And it's got quite a small limit. But Cohere announced that they were ex basically creating a, a summarization tool that could have up to 50,000 characters, which is an enormous amount of text. In fact, I have been playing around with it this week. And I took, um, I took a journal article about, uh, it was a study looking at in fact, it doesn't matter what it was, but it was about marketing AI and uh, the kind of current state of marketing and artificial intelligence. 15-page PDF, I copied all of the text out of that, threw it into this, uh, into this summarization tool, 
Uh, by the time I deleted all the references and all of that, it was coming in at about 40,000 characters. It was a really long, meaty bit of uh, text. And I asked it to summarize it. And yeah, sure, it summarized it. Um, I would describe the summary as being comically small. It was four sentences. I mean, it really, really boiled it down. I, it actually has a setting on it. That's this summarization tool where you can go small, medium, and large. And I thought, oh, that's quite useful. If you've got a really long piece of text, you might want to summarize 40,000 characters down to, I don't know, like a, a thousand characters or, or something. But no, four sentences. Um, it, don't get me wrong; it was accurate, but I would have, I would have liked a little more. Yeah, but it was accurate. You feel it, it was, yeah, it was, it was accurate. Um, it, it did a, it did a good job. Um, so I can't, I can't knock it too much, but it did just feel like it had summarized hyper aggressively. Yeah, boiled it right down <laughs> to the truest essence, and. I, I just Googled 50,000 characters is somewhere between 7,000 and 12,000 words. So we're talking about pretty chunky pieces here. And it's interesting f that your experience was that it was accurate because some of the summarized tools that I've been playing with and even some of the meeting summarized tools like Tactic that has now AI driven meeting summarization in. So far, if I'm honest, when I look at the summary, I feel like there are key elements of that call or that paper or whatever it is that I'm summarizing that these tools are missing. And I think when I reflect upon, even if I ha have a meeting with three or four people and I come out of that and say, what do you think was the most important thing? Usually like the key bits, we probably all agree on, but people see different things. It's even if, if you and I read a book, Martin, and I say, what was the most interesting thing for you? It's going to be different, right? Because the context that you bring to reading that book, the previous knowledge that you have, the other books you've read, except all that other stuff is going to influence what you find interesting. So I think it's going to be a really interesting space to see how this plays out, how these tools improve, and also whether or not they just cause a bit of a homogenization in our interpretation of information that may or may not be a good thing, right? Sometimes it's good for you and I to take different things away from a piece of text, let's say, because that the the interesting magic's probably somewhere in the middle. Like, why did you find that interesting? Why did I find that interesting? What you know, what conversation can we have about that? If we rely too heavily on some of these summarization tools, we might lose a bit of that, I worry. Uh yeah, hugely. And I, I actually find so I've been using a summarization tool, which is no longer available actually. It was a great tool called Summary. Uh or it's they've changed their pricing model anyway. Um their their tool was brilliant for let's say i was on harvard business review and there's a you know long form article i could read the the kind of cliff notes just just give me the the summary and then if i wanted to get the the full piece if i thought oh that's quite interesting i, I want the detail on that i would jump in and and read the full thing so i do think there's a place for summarization but we you're absolutely right we have to be careful about how we how we approach it and not you know shortcut our way to going well, I've I've read the I've read the four sentence summary of that uh, eight thousand word document, and I think I know it all now. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Right, let's move on to our next story, um, which is about Hugging Face and AWS partnering to bring open source models to developers. Again, this is another one you picked up 
Martin, while I was out sunning myself in San Diego. What What's the story here? Why do, what do marketers need to know? So this is, uh, for those of you that don't know who Hugging Face are, so Hugging Face is um, a community of artificial intelligence and machine learning researchers and enthusiasts. And it's kind of the, uh, if you're a developer, the GitHub for, for AI ML projects. And it's where... Uh, models will be posted and shared and you can have a bit of a play with them and uh, there'll be summary cards explaining what they do and it covers all areas of, of artificial intelligence and, and machine learning. This announcement uh, is a partnership between Amazon Web Services, the cloud services from Amazon uh, and Hugging Base to say that they're going to make some of these models available through AWS. So in the way that... Um, Microsoft's cloud services, Azure, has um, OpenAI access now, so you can plug into the OpenAI tools. Uh, AWS is bringing in some of these alternative models. And actually, AWS, I think, already has a large language model through AI21. I believe that they are hosted or they're accessible via API on there as well. So if you're an app developer or a web developer or you're planning a new digital project, um, or products, should I say, you can plug into these these new models. And Hugging Face have said that their open source models, um, I don't think they've announced the extent to which they're going to be putting them on there, like how many and, and how frequently or what have you. But open source models will be made available on AWS. Although it should be said that they've also said it's not an exclusivity. They don't want to tie themselves in with one uh one partner good stuff um what does this mean for marketers specifically well it certainly means they're going to be less vulnerable to single source dependency when we saw open ai go down last week and all of a sudden chat gpt and gpt3 went down uh, the whole world panicked i think this makes uh makes us less reliant on a, a single point there's there'll be more competition in the market but actually it just means that we've got more tools if you're doing a uh, you know you're doing some sort of app development for your product you can bring in new technologies you can extend your product um with these with these bits of tech uh, more easily you're not going to have to self-host and self-configure these ai ml models they'll just be available on the the cloud platforms that are already the most popular cool cool there was another story you spotted with Hugging Face this week as well, uh, collaborating with Stability AI and, and Canva around a new AI research nonprofit. What's happening there that marketers need to know about? So Stability AI, Hugging Face and Canva are creating an, a, a not-for-profit AI research lab. Canva you'll be familiar with from the, from the design world. And Stability AI, uh, they create the stable diffusion um image text to image generation model uh, yeah they've created this new foundation which is going to be looking at ethics in ai really that's what they're they're focusing on ethics and and alignment of ai so um how we humans align with ai with the kind of intent there's a whole thing around alignment uh, it's somewhat controversial though because it's got publics uh, sorry 
private sector investment and private sector backers. So there are people saying that, um, yes, this is a great foundation, a great cause, but uh, is it going to be truly impartial? Um, we'll wait and see. What marketers need to be aware of, though, is that uh, with any AI models, we have to be aware of weights and biases in the models. Uh, we don't want AI uh, just, you know, putting out bad information or being unethical or, you know, bringing all of all of those terrible examples that we've seen in the past where it's misogynistic, racist, take your pick. Uh, and they're doing a lot of work around this space. So they might be one of the organizations leading the way in terms of the kind of ethical frameworks and advising marketers and businesses more broadly uh, how best to deploy AI in a kind of ethical and compliant way. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I've been listening a fair bit this week um, to Paul Reutzer over at the Marketing AI Institute talking about uh, the ethics and guidelines of how we might use AI. And I think one of the key things they've been chatting about that really resonated with me is that it does look a little bit like government are going to move too slowly on this to really be able to put anything in place to really apply regulations to how we use AI and certainly in marketing and communications, and that probably companies are going to have to take the lead in kind of being clear about what they use AI for, especially in their marketing and communications, what was produced using, say, ChatGPT, for example. Um, so seeing that there's lots of people who are thinking about this, um, almost taking on the role potentially of regulators and government would traditionally have, because I guess the assumption is they're going to move too slow because these technologies are just racing out the gate and developing so quickly. Yeah, I think that's a, a fair shout. And the the EU in the defense are putting together some AI legislation. I think the White House in the US is also, you know, got policy wonks looking at AI. But yes, the, the pace, you know, when you just look at the pace of change in the industry, how quick products are coming out, I don't know how legislators could hope to catch up. But um, you mentioned the AI uh, marketing or the Marketing AI Institute. Uh, they've got the Creative Commons licensed manifesto that anyone can can go and use for their own organization to put in place uh, some kind of structure around how they plan to use AI and make that publicly available. So that's a resource that's well worth going and checking out. Yeah, I can imagine a, a time where like we have our privacy statements on all of our websites saying how we use cookies and how we use customer and visitor data and all that stuff. We're going to be needing to add our policies on AI to those documents or perhaps having completely separate web pages or documents on our sites explaining how we're using AI tools in our in our marketing and communications with prospects and customers and visitors. Yeah, certainly uh, I would welcome that kind of transparency. Yeah, I think it, I think it will become key and we can talk about this a bit more in a moment. It's probably a, a bit of a segue from some of the news we've seen, been seeing to some of the things that have been on our minds as it relates to AI and, and marketing is um, is what happens when we see a huge amount of content hit the market generated by ChatGPT and other tools and we get an even bigger content deluge than we've had over the last 10 years with the sort of emergence and maturation of content marketing and inbound marketing it now just became even faster and cheaper and easier to just pump out content 
whether it's actually useful to anyone or not right but it's the, if it's easy to do we'll see lots of people doing it and actually i think we'll see we'll see that emergence of of people needing to sift through all that crap trying to figure out what's actually worth listening to and human like guaranteed human content becoming a bit of a premium and a bit of a marker for trust that you're going to get some interesting novel ideas um so that you know as a marketer thinking about well how can i get ahead of that and what types of content can you produce stuff like the podcast that we're doing now right um um, I would love to see the uh, robotic version of Martin. I suspect he's nowhere near as interesting, as funny as you are. Um, but we're certainly not there yet in terms of being, a, you know, this isn't a deep fake, although that would be interesting as well. Um, so things like podcasts and other ways to just bring that authenticity to content as we see a, a, an explosion of this stuff only helped by having a, uh, you know, a little line of text at the bottom of a blog post that says, we use chat GPT to help put together this blog post, but all the ideas are ours, right? That would be really, really helpful for people trying to figure out what to listen to. What are your thoughts on all of this, mine? Yeah, I echo that sentiment. It's just a deluge of, of content and it's so easy to create articles now. Um, you know, the first time you show someone uh, the kind of simple prompt of write an article about such and such, their eyes kind of light up, particularly small business owners that I've um you know, shown this to in, in recent weeks and months and they get very excited and you do have to kind of go, yeah, just because you can doesn't mean that you should. <laughs> this is a kind of an important thing to remember. So yeah, human in the loop and actually human being the majority of the loop, actually, um, I think is going to be the, the big part. We've, these are assistants at the moment. I saw a nice headline um, this morning actually saying we should think about less of um ai being another person in the sense of like replacing an employee for instance but think of it more as being your own second brain and i, I do quite like that it's this it, it's an alternate way of thinking um mm. it helps me write content better it helps me produce articles quicker or gives me a different angle when brainstorming but also it can do tasks like um i don't know audio editing you know using something like descript that i otherwise don't have the skills to do so it mm. kind of adds these skills in so yeah i think that's um a, an interesting thing for us to consider is how transparent do we want to be with with that how do we be responsible marketers using ai and and how uh how What's the word I'm looking for? For front and center. Do you know, I, I do like the idea of the disclaimers though, um, on articles and and whatnot. Yeah, I think enabling augmentation is definitely how I'm viewing the AI tools, certainly within our our agency and within my own work. And I think to your point, what we kind of all need is an Uncle Ben on our shoulder, right? With great power comes <laughs> yeah. great responsibility. Marketers are very well known for taking cool new emerging tech and then massively overusing it and ruining it for everybody else. So come on, marketers, let's, uh, let's do our best to try and control ourselves this time and not let that happen. Right, let's talk about um, prompt engineering 
Martin, because I've been uh, thinking about this a lot. I know we've been talking a fair bit about prompt engineering. So for those that are not familiar, when you're using a number of AI tools, whether it's Dolly 2 for image generation, ChatGPT to help you come up with interview questions or blog posts, in essence, you have to prompt the system to give you the thing that you want. And you do that by writing in the text box what you want. So you might say, um, create a blog post for me about the five uh, exciting applications of confocal microscopy and then it will do its best to write it and you can say things like write it for a PhD level audience or other different things that you can add to your prompt to further shape what you want the tool to give you and, and the types of um, quality output that you'll get and we've been talking a bit about this as it relates to why marketers are actually perfectly positioned to get the most out of these tools because creating a great prompt is like creating a great marketing brief. It's about thinking about who you're trying to reach, what's the key messages that you want to convey, what sort of style do you want to write in, what sort of um, key uh, items and data points do you want to focus on. Um, so, so what are your th thoughts, Martin? Marketers as prompt experts, should we uh, should we be halfway along already, really, in terms of being good briefers? Oh, absolutely. You know, a good. A good brief is going to have all of those elements you've just spoken about. It's going to say, what do you want to achieve? In fact, actually, just thinking about the, the prompting, it's interesting using chat GPT versus uh, GPT-3 in the way that you would uh, prompt them. Uh, I've found that, well, with chat GPT, you're telling, the pers you're telling the chat that they are a role. You're giving them a role. You are a such and such, and then it will kind of play that role in your in your chat. Whereas with GPT three, you can write your prompts from a kind of first person perspective. Um, some of the best prompts that I've personally written have had all of those elements that you've spoken about there. So I've maybe started my my prompt saying, "I am uh, an award winning." technology journalist writing for techradar.com my editor came to me and asked that i write an article about this 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 and this and all of that is the detail that you've just spoken about there so it's you know, it might be about the product the key messages that i've got to hit uh, the audience that it's been written for uh, the level of detail that it might be the, the the strengths and weaknesses of a particular a strategy or approach or, or what have you and then i will end my prompt with this was my final written draft and <laughs> and then it will write the article for me right um yeah i i mean such is the explosion of this i don't know if you've seen this mind but now there are marketplaces for prompts have you seen these like uh prompt base where you can buy and sell prompts in order to get the very most out of these tools you have have you had to play with any of those I've I've not. I saw them burst onto the scene, particularly after the text-to-image platforms came out. That was where there was a, a big boom. And then I think you know the research. Well, I say resurgence. The the emergence of uh, of ChatGPT just took it to a whole new level. Yeah, it's funny. I've, I'm so I'm on um, prompt base now, and there's a business model generator for $4.99, an SEO blog article generator for $2.99. The ingenuity of people to jump on these trends and figure out um, ways, you know, to, to make a buck uh, off of the back of things that they've spent, you know, time getting good at, because certainly writing good prompts is not 
it's you have to practice you have to learn how to get the most out of the tools so absolutely fascinating to see that there is a dark side to this mine and i am gonna have a rant i see you smile because you know already how mad i am about this which is my linkedin feed and i've probably done this to myself by clicking on too many of them and telling the algorithm i love them is so full of sliding carousels of the different types of prompts that you can give chat gpt that i've now seen eight or nine variations of the same prompt where people jump on this bandwagon to try and get lots of likes and shares by coming up with these carousels so a that annoys me a bit because it's like if it's done it's done right come up with something new the second thing that triggers a bit of a ramp from me is now i'm starting to see some of these prompts really move into areas that I think are dangerous, that if people are going to use these prompts without really knowing how the underlying technology works and what you can rely on something like ChatGPT4, they're actually going to get themselves in a bit of a sticky situation. The first one that comes to mind that's been bugging me this week is asking ChatGPT to create buyer personas for you. ChatGPT doesn't know who your customers are. It's never spoken to any of your customers. It is a prediction engine that's... Um, in effect, read lots and lots of materials like books and web pages, etc. Its knowledge only even goes up to early 2021. It doesn't know your customers, right? It can come up with some sensible sounding things, but if you're going to base your entire messaging strategy on a prediction engine rather than actually speaking to your customers, you've got a problem, right? And I think this nicely highlights how we've talked about it a bit earlier. Great power comes great responsibility and really just understanding what these tools are good at and what they're not. What you can do is ask ChatGPT to give you some questions to go ask your customers to help gather the intel you need. It's great for that type of brainstorming and idea generation for how you might go about doing something. Um, another area where I've seen this is, um, is in SEO, where people are using it to help them do keyword analysis. It doesn't know the search volumes. All of its data that it's trained on is really quite old now in some cases. It can give you ideas for possible keywords that you can go feed into a proper tool like SEM Rush or Spyfu or something like that. Um, but it's not going to be the, you know, the be all and end all in terms of helping you do your your keyword research or any of these other things. So. So that's been, I, I wanted to get that out of there because it's been on my mind. I wanted to warn people to, you know, use these tools carefully, use them for things they can actually help with. Have you seen anything in this area, Martin, that sort of made you worry or made you particularly excited around prompts? Uh, well, I have uh, a Twitter feed, which is very similar to the LinkedIn carousel feed with just uh, numerous tweets going, download my ebook full of prompts, get this Google sheet with, in fact, I saw one shared today, 700 chat GPT prompts, access it for free here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm over it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just done with it. Um, but, you know, fair play to people for, for jumping on the bandwagon and trying to make hay when the sun is shining. If you've been listening to, you know, the leaders in this space, the quite literally the, you know, the Sam Altman of this world, he's a CEO of OpenAI, if people aren't aware he said recently that you know ideally prompt engineering isn't going to be a thing you're not going to need to engineer a prompt because in the future the ais the language models will just be so good at understanding your intent 
that you don't need to engineer or craft these prompts. So, mm. you know, fair play if you want to make a, a the 6,000th version of the same carousel and get a few uh, likes, tweets, and reposts and go for it. But uh, I wouldn't be looking at it as a long-term strategy. Yeah, agreed. That sounds great, Martin. I, 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 I certainly look forward to the day when the tools are good enough to understand our intent enough that we don't need to uh, we don't need to worry about that too much right last part of today's podcast then we're going to look at our tool of the week and this week you're going to take us through market muse mine something you've been using a lot of particularly excited to get into this i have not used it much and it's a it's not a generative AI tool. Hurrah. AI can help with huge amounts of things, uh, help marketers be more effective. We've heard so much about tools that can create images and text and video. Let's dive a bit more into Market Muse, Mind. Tell us a bit more about what, what it is and what it does and who it's for. Yeah, so Market Muse is for any marketing team that produces content and has content at the heart of their strategy. Uh, it is a... NLP, natural language processing powered content optimization tool, and it is a beast. I love it. So there are two main features of it, really. Um, they have the uh, the kind of page, single page optimization element, and you can do research and then optimization. Or you've got, if you go for the the, the kind of premium tier plan, they've got a tool called inventory, and this is where you get full site-wide optimization. So how does it all work? You start off by putting in your, your, your keyword, and what they do, you, you put in your keyword or your key phrase, and it will scrape the SERPs, uh, the search engine results pages, get all of the top results for, say, like the top 30 pages, and it will read those pages. And then using natural language processors, it creates a kind of topic model for that keyword. So let's say you want to uh, you want to rank for Premier League football, right? If you write an article about Premier League football, you're going to have to talk about things like you know the clubs. You're going to have to talk about Manchester United, Arsenal, well, Man City. Not Derby County, though, might you? know, you, you would not be focusing much on Derby County unless you mention that the worst team in Premier League history was Derby County with 11 points in 2006, 2007, or 2007, 2008. I forget. It was we, all a traumatic. Experience. We digress. We digress. <laughs> but yes, uh, you will be talking about the you'll be talking about these associated topics these related topics uh, and the idea being that if you want to rank if you're producing a, a blog you know we we all write blogs and write articles for in, with the hopes of getting found in search and ideally you're doing maybe a topic cluster you're using pillar content and all of that kind of good stuff for, for an seo model but you still want all of the individual articles to be the best that they can be. You're spending time, effort, energy writing them. So with the research tool within Market Muse, it basically gives you uh, all of the topics and themes that you need to be addressing. And right. it has incredible capabilities. Um, and it will just uncover things that, you know, when you take a step back from writing an article, you go, oh, it's really obvious I should have spoken about that you know i'm writing an article about the premier league and i didn't mention relegation yeah of course i need to mention relegation in the relegation zone if people are going to, to you know it's that kind of thing so um it is very good i used it um 
for for one article a few it's about 18 months ago i wanted to rank for a keyword related to uh sostack this is what really got me excited about the tool i should i should say sostack digital marketing planning model I've, i teach it to my uh marketing students i thought oh, i've got something to say about that i can share some some bits i've written a few blogs all of them a thousand to fifteen hundred words long none of them made an impact just i might have been might as well have been leaning out of the window and just shouting sostack and seeing if anything happened for all the good they did me i put uh, an article into in, into market muse and it made clear to me that you know i needed to go into more depth in some areas i ended up writing an article uh, considerably longer it was about 80 percent longer than the previous article i'd written so just over 2000 uh, words and it started to get traction over time it built and built and built because it was a very authoritative piece and now that blog accounts for anywhere between 700 to uh, 1200 hits on any given month just that one article alone and i would never have achieved that without market muse now that's just how you optimize one post. If you think about that, then scaled across your whole website, where it's looking at whole topic gaps in your whole content strategy. It's looking at your competitors and saying, "Well, they're here, and you've got an opportunity to get here just by you know, tweaking a few pages." It's incredibly powerful. And what I like about it compared to the generative AI that we've been talking about today um, is that whereas generative AI can be really useful in 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 you know, creating content or giving you ideas it doesn't really care about you or your strategy it doesn't know your business it doesn't know what you're trying to achieve it doesn't have any interest in you it just kind of responds to a prompt market muse is a really strategic tool um it's it's strategic and tactical rolled up in one because it helps you set that content strategy and then when you're executing it helps optimize all of those individual outputs so that you're not wasting time writing articles that just um kind of are a bit of a damp squib really wow so let me play that back then like i'm a marketer um i'm i'm creating content on my website blogs or online articles as you mentioned i've got some keywords i want to rank for i've produced some content in the past and i got crickets didn't rank didn't get any traffic from from google or other search engines i could throw that topic into market muse and market muse would identify that almost the subtopics that i need to expand in my online article or blog post on that topic in order to be able to be seen as authoritative by google on the topic and then start ranking and you've done that in exactly that way for a term that's not easy to rank for, where you did the work the traditional way, the logical way, but you weren't getting anything. You applied Market Muse's AI-driven intelligence and insights, and then you started ranking and getting all this traffic. Exactly that. And the process, the actual user interface for doing it is a dream. So with the optimized tool, for instance, uh, you put in the keyword that you want to rank for, and then you can drop in the URL of a blog post that you've already written. Maybe you've done something that's just not landed. Uh, you then hit fetch and run. It then scrapes that article. It runs its research in the back end. It pulls through your article into a very you know standard kind of Word document, rich text editing interface. And it has at the sidebar all of the research it's pulled up, all of the topics with suggested distribution and 
basically how how free how important different keywords are like the weighting of them and it highlights them in your text and it says yeah you're using this term but you're not using this term so and you can then just start to you know add your h2s in add a new section write a new paragraph and just tick off all of those bits and um yeah it's, it's incredibly powerful is it and it's guiding you through all of that right you don't you don't have to be an seo pro to be able to do this by the sounds of things not at all i i venture to say that you could use this tool without knowing anything about seo you know you wouldn't have to know what a meta title is yeah, to be able to just use aspect. it right mm. cool well for those of you then that want to rank better um, perhaps have even been producing content on a given topic and haven't got the results that you've been looking for, give Market Muse a go. Brilliant. Well, I think that brings us to the end of today's podcast. Thanks very much for your time and your insights. Martin, always an absolute pleasure to hang out with you. Uh, for everybody else, we hope you've enjoyed this. If you have, please do subscribe, share this with your marketing friends who also need to know about AI um, and tell them about the artificially intelligent marketing podcast hopefully we will see you all again next week and if you want to get in touch with us um, please do you'll find us on the linkedins and the twitters we'd love to hear what you think of the podcast any thoughts you have any stories you'd like us to to cover and any feedback you've got in general really so thank you martin i will see you next week see you next week cheers thank you for listening to artificially intelligent marketing to stay on top of the latest trends, tips, and tools in the world of marketing AI, be sure to subscribe. We look forward to seeing you again next week.